morning and happy Father's Day. <clears throat> Turn to Ezekiel chapter 22, if you will. Ezekiel chapter 22. Going to be, uh, we're in a series called Let's Talk About Race. And uh, I think when you, when we look at this topic, and we address it, you know, we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, and where our country is uh, when it comes to a situation like this. A lot of people don't know where to start. A lot of people don't know where to look, and a lot of people don't care. I've got to be real honest with you. Uh, <clears throat> I've, I've had some, uh, I'll politely call them back and forths with pastors, and uh, had one, uh, one call that I, I listened to, and it was, there was some good stuff on it, but the moderator of the call uh, for a group of uh, Baptist pastors that I've been a part of for decades now, as he announced, when he announced that we were, they were going to be having the phone call talking about race in the church, uh, he actually received hate mail from other pastors about doing it. Uh, I got to be honest with you. When, when pastors act that way, it makes me wonder. And it makes me understand why the church is so divided, why there's such division among races in the church. And it helps me to understand why people go through the things they go through, why we are in the situation we're in. If we truly believe that, that America is a land blessed by God, then why do the people who are responsible for God's blessing not bless his creation? And I come to the point where I understand that it's because we are selfish, it's because we are self-centered, and we are sinful. And if we don't do something about it here in the church, at the start, this is where it should start, then nothing's gonna happen of any value. You can march all you want, you can paint the streets all you want, you can go on Facebook and say all the nasty things or all the positive things you want, but unless it starts with God's people, nothing's gonna change. And I believe, because I was raised by a man, I was raised by a man of God. The only fault I know in my father is that he was in the Navy. And, uh, and that's okay. That's okay. You know, my sister married a Navy guy. We've, we've, we've brought that breach back together. Uh, but my dad told me, <laughs> He taught me never to back down from a fight. And he taught me how to be a man. And where that starts is in the church and in the home. Listen, I don't particularly care 
I don't particularly care what your feelings are on gender roles in society. We live, <laughs> how crazy is this? We live in a world <laughs> that touts science and says science is the answer, yet tells us that there are over 100 different genders. Seriously. How, I got, let me just be honest, today, can I just be honest? That, that's the mood I'm in, okay? How am I supposed to take you seriously if you say there is, nothing, there is more than male and female? Brian, I don't get it. I don't understand how I'm supposed to take you seriously when you say that it, listen, I don't care what you wear, I don't care how you want to dress, dress how you want to dress, but there's men and there's women. There's male and there's female, that's all there is. Now, that's where we have to start, church. And the Bible defines the roles of men and women. It doesn't say men are superior to women. It doesn't say women are supposed to get your iced tea when you're thirsty. It says men and women are partners and co-equals in marriage and in relationships. But it also says that men are supposed to act like men. And I've got to be honest with you, today in our country, I don't see that very much. And I'm not bashing women. I, women are amazing. Women are the backbone of this nation. Women are the backbone of homes. And the only reason, the only reason that children are, that many children in this country are being raised decently today is because of strong women who take up the mantle that men dropped, okay? So I am not slighting women at all. I, I think that, I, I think that <laughs> instead of Father's Day, Many times I think we should have a second Mother's Day. Seriously. That's, and that's exactly how I feel. I'm not pandering. I'm not blowing smoke. That's exactly how I feel. But I think it can change as well. Because, first of all, there are some great men. There are some great fathers. There are men who stand up and do what, is call, what they're called upon to do and fulfill their roles. But when it comes to the issue of race... It just seems that it's something that people want to pass around and not grab hold of. Even men, even good men that I know. So today I want to talk about this. And we're going to move quickly because I know that uh, I'm still getting two services and this time thing. So Jonathan gets back there. You can't see what I see. And those watching on Facebook, welcome. And if, if you're watching on Facebook, you can't see what I see when the clock, there's a clock on the back wall, a countdown. And I'm going to throw you out there, Jonathan. Jonathan will go out underneath that screen and he'll start waving to me. <laughs> and, and remember that phrase, throw your hands in the air like you just don't care. You wave your hands around like, like there's, there's no consequences. Whatsoever. That's exactly how I feel about it. Hey, what do you want me to wave back? Hi, Jonathan. Good, good for you, great, great. He, I give him some slack because he is an army guy, but, but that's okay. <laughs> Ezekiel 22, verse 30 is one of the most powerful verses for men in the Bible. And this morning, I want to talk about the topic, God is looking for good men. God is looking for good men. And right now in our history, Right now in the point of, you can talk about the country all you want. I'm talking about the church. At this point in the church in America today, God is looking for good men. 
God is looking for men who will stand up and be a man. That doesn't mean you're powerful. That doesn't mean you push people around. We're going to see what that means according to the word of God. Ezekiel 22:30 says, I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it. But I found none. It's a powerful verse. What God is looking for in men, someone who will just stand up. God isn't looking for a great speech maker. God isn't looking for a powerhouse physically. God isn't looking for a great intellect. God isn't looking for a powerful singing voice. God isn't looking for a great musician. God is just looking for men who will stand up for what is right. If you are a man that will stand up for what is right, God will take care of the rest. Let's be honest, if this scripture was written today, it would be very close to true when it comes to American leadership, right? No man on a national level, I mean this with all my heart, on a national level, there is not a man in our, in our government that wants to stand up and say what needs to be said. No man wants to take the bulls by the horn and not worry about the personal consequences to their political career. They all want to fight, they want to blame, and they want to pass the buck. Everyone is looking for their enemy to make a verbal mistake so they can make a sound bite out of it and gain favor for the masses who just want someone who would lead authentically. And in many churches today, I'll be very honest, it's very difficult to find many pastors who will be able to, who will be willing to put friendships and old boy network connections on the line to say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done when it comes to the issue of race and the divide that it brings in the church. There's not many pastors out there right now. Listen, I, Zach and I talked. I said, Zach, my great fear is that they're gonna move on. Didn't I not say this, Zach? They're gonna move on to the next big thing that's already happened. I've been cut off of email lists. Listen, I'm not moving on to the next big thing. Now, God will move us into different topics, but I guarantee you, this is, this is a place where I've planted a flag. And we're going to work on this in our church and in our community. We're going to bring healing, and we're going to bring unity, and we're going to bring division to an end as much as we possibly can here. And if that means I lose friends, I listen, have you been around me much? I'm not that likable of a person, okay? I know that. I know that. I'm the guy that they said you can only have one person in a golf cart for, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to stay here. We're going we're gonna to plant the flag here. And yes, we'll move on to other times because the main reason we need unity in the church is so that we can reach people with the gospel of Christ. But if we don't deal with the sin problem, then we're not going to make progress. And because no pastors will stand up, the wall, the wall remains in need of repair. The gap still exists. And in many homes in America, the truth is not much different. Too many American fathers have abandoned their responsibility as a man. They've handed it over to a woman to do the job of two. And God bless those women who are doing the job of two. God bless them. I think they, I, they're heroes. If anybody, if anybody deserves a, uh, a, a second stimulus check, it's single moms that are raising kids. And I mean that with all my heart. 
Fathers are either absent, absent, they're distracted, or they're selfish, so much so that children suffer. Spiritually speaking, absentee fathers in the spiritual part of life is devastating to the growth and continuance of the church. And in light of our current national conditions on race, when fathers don't step up to teach their sons and daughters how to accept and love everyone, kids are more likely to develop racial hatred and call my son's names that they don't need to be called. Yes, I just made that personal because I've had that happen three times now to my, my precious little boys, and I've had enough. I've had enough. Kids will develop that racial hatred, and because fathers won't step up and be the right kind of man, They'll develop that racial hatred for reasons that go beyond what we can cover this morning, reasons they don't understand and even realize until they become an adult marching around trying to protect a, a flag of hatred and defend a rebellion that was all, yes, I must say it, the rebellion was all about slavery. You could say whatever you want, but let's speak truth. This nation has a bunch of people fighting to keep hatred in place. Children learn from their fathers. Boys learn how to be men, fathers and husbands from their dads. If you're absent or detached, that's what they'll learn how to be. Girls learn what to expect from men. And ladies, please, I am not trying to take away your power. I'm not trying to minimize who you are. But you know as well as I do that Girls, when they're young, learn about good men from good fathers. If you're a good example of biblical godly manhood, that's what they'll look for in a man. If you're a bad example, that's likely what they'll look for as well. The dynamics of a home may and do vary wi widely in this world, but the effects of fatherhood, no matter how you became a father, go beyond DNA. The presence of a father figure, a man who actively takes on the role of a father in the lives of the children with which they live or have influence makes a huge positive impact. Let me give you some statistics about the effects of fatherless homes and the effects of, of positive father figures in the home. And when we talk about father figures, first of all, let me just dispel this myth. Because I did a lot of study and a lot of research on statistics about racial uh, situations, racial fatherhood in homes. And there's a myth out there that African-American homes, uh, that African-American fathers leave at a higher rate than anybody else. And that's just not true when you take into account all of the statistics. Because it doesn't, when it, the, here's, here's how skewed these things are. I'm serious, man. I, I did the research. I read this. When it comes to African-American homes, unless the father and mother are married, they don't count that as a father in the home. Now, they could have had the child together, but not gotten married, and they won't count that in an African-American home. But in a white home, in a white home, my friends, as long as there's a guy living in the house that's with the mother, they count it as a home. They count it as a father. That's so bad, that's so twisted. And it's so racially motivated because it goes along with the narrative that those people want to push forward. I'm not trying to be political or sociological here. I'm just being honest. 
The fact of the matter is when you look at all the statistics and all the actual situations in families in America, racially, white, black, and Hispanic all have around the same amount of fatherless homes. It's around the same. And listen, I know people that grew up, how many, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, that'd be really cruel. How many of you know people that grew up with some cat in the home that was a real so-and-so? Well, that's no good, right? That's no good. That's not a good father figure. That's a fatherless home, okay? But we have some statistics that tell us what happens when there's no strong, solid father figure in the home. 63% of youth suicides are kids from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway youths are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles and state-operated institutions are from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 75% of rapists motivated by displaced anger are from fatherless homes. 39% of students don't have a father in the home in America from first grade to graduation. They never have a father in the home. <clears throat> Here's something that just wants me to, I gotta be on, Vicki, the way I, the mood I'm in this morning, I just wanna grab somebody and slap them for this one. 43% 43 43 of fathers do not see their role as something that is important to their personal identity. You talk about a selfish, self-absorbed, self-centered bunch of babies. Show me a man who has fathered a child who doesn't think being a father is important to his identity. We, we need to do something about that, Ben. I'm serious. That's, that's insane. Who, anyway. Yeah, we'll move on. Wow. And then, and this one, this one, this is just crazy. This is just crazy. My son, my oldest boy just walked down the hall. I still call him a boy even though he's 37 years old, 36, you're close enough. <laughs> and you know what? I still enjoy watching him play softball. He still bugs me about playing for the team. And I, I'm, one thing I'm getting really, it's tough to get used to is in, in softball now, if you hit a home run, you don't have to run the bases. What's the point? <laughs> Seriously, man. At my age, well, somebody like you, Brian, you need to save time. But, but at my age, if I jack one over the fence, I'm gonna stroll. <laughs> know what I'm saying? I'm taking my time. But my, my, my oldest son is a father, and I love the joy I see in him in fatherhood. I also love the times where his two children give him some not so enjoyable times because it reminds me of him and his two sisters. And here's a revelation, 54% of, of all fathers in the US 
<laughs> I just, this is just crazy. Say that parenting isn't enjoyable all the time. <laughs> of course not. They're kids. They're going to drive you out of your mind. My guy, no, only 54%? What the heck? The other 46 must have slept through that class. <laughs> the presence of responsible father. Here's some positives. The presence of responsible father promotes improved academic performance and reduces disciplinary problems among children. That's because a good father will take care of that kid when he gets home. My father's philosophy was, and I, would, I went to school with some of you who are that of my generation, not many of you, but I'm finding that I'm at that generation that's about, we're looking over the cliff now. <laughs> You'd get a spank, I actually got a spanking in junior high. Can you imagine that? I got a spanking, I went to a public school, and I got a spanking in school for fighting somebody, and I, I didn't start it. I finished it, but I didn't start it. <laughs> for fighting somebody at the bus stop. I wasn't even on the bus. Somebody drove a, yes, I won, of course. <laughs> Somebody drove by while I was at the bus stop. What a silly question, right, Lewis? Somebody drove by and saw us fighting, and this was the day before cell phones. So it's like they had to go home and make the phone call. Like, well, did you not have a life? What in the world? But I got a spank in there. And you know what my father's policy was? You get a spank in a school, you get a spank in a home. <laughs> Then I went into the military and I realized where he learned that from. <laughs> military believes in mass punishment and, and just continuing to, yeah, anyway. Preschoolers with actively involved fathers have stronger verbal skills. Children with actively involved fathers display less behavior problems in school. Girls with strong relationships with their fathers do better in mathematics. Boys with actively involved fathers tend to get better grades and perform better on achievement tests. By the way, proud to announce that Gabriel and Michael passed third grade. Yes, they're moving into fourth grade, and they were given high thumbs up from both from their teachers. And that's a huge accomplishment for these boys because we weren't sure when school was shut down and and we worked and I sat there at the table with them and drove myself crazy. I don't know what to do with all my time now because school is out, but I'll find a way to figure. We're taking seven mile bike rides together now. That's good. When non-custodial fathers are highly involved with their children's learning, the children are more likely to get A's at all grade levels. It is obvious, painfully and clearly obvious that involved fathers result in functional children. When a family unit, when the mother and the father work together in harmony and, and perform their duties in the home and love their children and work with their children together in the way that a mother can and the way that a father can, <laughs> then we see that children become better educated, they become better behaved, and they have more self-respect. To, to deny the overwhelming po overwhelmingly positive effects of fathers being present in homes is simply being deaf and blind. And when you add the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a father to the effects of being a good father, you have children that are given the greatest chance for success in life, both as followers of Jesus and successful citizens. And in these incredible times, 
in the history of the church in America as well as in American society. We need godly father, godly fathers, and we need godly men who will step up and stand in the gap for kids without fathers. God is looking for men who understand this, gentlemen. It's not about me. God is looking for men who understand that clearly. It's not about me. God is looking for men with strong character traits that make them men who will stand up for what's right and will make a difference in every area of life, especially in these times of racial unrest. All it will take is for one man to stand up as a man and link arms with a brother of another color and hold on tight for the lives of others. All it will take is one man to stop making and listening to excuses, to call out sin and to be willing to take the hits from his own race and his family and still move forward for truth and justice. All it will take is one man willing to stand in the gap and be a man of God without shame or compromise. I believe that God is looking for some very serious qualities in men, in men of God in men in the church, in men in New Life Church. I think God is looking for courageous men like David who will take on the giants in their church, in their community, and their families. Giants of division, giants of hatred, giants of fear, giants of laziness, and giants of apathy. Listen, it is the easiest thing in the world to turn away from a problem and go the other way. It takes a man to stand up. It takes a man to make a statement. It takes a man to be the only one who will stand against everybody else and not care because he's doing what's right. God is looking for courageous men like David who will own their mistakes, apologize, and make things better. <clears throat> First Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 and 46. Some of the greatest verses, man. Some of the most awesome, one of the most awesome passages and personal statements in the Bible. When David stood against Goliath, this monster, this huge monster of a man, armed to the teeth. David says in second, 1 Samuel 17, 45 and 46, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistines, uh, Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, David, I agree. Gentlemen, if you will summon up the courage inside to stand up for what is right in every aspect and area of life, it doesn't make you a tyrant. It doesn't give you any permission to be a tyrant, to be an ugly ruler, it doesn't give you any permission to push people around in your home or other, anywhere else. But what it does say is that you need to stand for what is right, no matter who says anything about it. I learned that from my father. You stand up for what's right. You defend what is right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You admit you're wrong and move on, which is very difficult for a chase to do. 
Thought I'd get more laughs than that, but obviously you don't know my, obviously you don't know my family very well. <laughs> Thanksgiving, right, Jeremy? Jeremy, Jeremy knows. Yeah. Secondly, God is looking for prayerlessly fearless men like Daniel who will make public declarations for God. Listen, God's not looking for weak guys who will hide their Bible and march for a cause. God is looking for strong, powerful men like Martin Luther King Jr. who will stand up for what's right with the power of God as their sword. Listen, I don't particularly care what you think about people who are doing what. All that is is a straw man excuse not to address the issue. I'm a, and I'm going to say it too. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm worn out. So I'm just going to say it. If you focus on people who are burning stuff down and looting, you're missing the point. Nobody's justifying that. Come on. Nobody's justifying that. Listen, you want to break into my house? I'm a... I'm a <laughs> Zach, I almost said I'm going to break their jaw, but I caught myself before I said that. I know I just said it, but I said it in a way of getting around saying it in the first place. <laughs> Listen, you want to attack my family? We're going to have a problem. Don't let the gray fool you. We're going to have an issue. But don't let what people are doing that is away from the cause knuckleheads in Seattle who have nothing to do, what they're doing has nothing to do with the race issue in America. Notice it's mostly white people in Seattle that have taken over that part of the city. Yes, I said it, I said it I'm saying it out loud, okay? It has nothing to do with the race issue. You don't take over a city, you sit down and you talk about it. But if that's what you focus on, people taking over Seattle, you're missing the point. We've got to address the issue of race honestly and stop chasing straw men all over the place that take our attention away from what truly matters. And that's the fact that we have a whole bunch of white people in this country who think they're better than black people and brown people and hate them so much that they teach their kids to call children ugly names. God's looking for prayerfully fearless men like Daniel who will make those public declarations for God. Men who will not be ashamed to humble themselves and pray. Boy, do I know about that. Hmm. Daniel 6.10 says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, the document was the, the decree of the king that banned prayer in public. Banned prayer, period. Didn't we just come through something like that? I know, I took a lot. I, man, I, I got hate mail. I had pastors preach against me personally for keeping my church open. Are you out of your mind? You think it was right? Listen, people in my own church said I was wrong. I don't care. It was wrong. It, what would have happened? Just ask, this, ask yourself this question. What would have happened if every Christian in America would have worn a mask, socially distant, but gone to church? You know that there are churches today who cannot accommodate all their members because they won't stand up to the government. Sorry, man. I'm calling it like it is. Listen, if you don't want to go to church, that's fine. I think what Osvaldo said was just perfect. 
<laughs> I really do. You don't want to go to church. That's between you and God. But if I don't open the church and provide you a place to go, I'm wrong. Learn that from a father. A man who will stand and make public declarations for God and not care about the consequences. <laughs> they told Daniel he couldn't pray in public. Told him he couldn't pray. Period. Even in the privacy of his own home. What did Daniel do? <laughs> Daniel 6.10, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God, just as he had done before. Oh, you're telling me I can't pray to my God? Watch this. Hold my uh, root beer. Christianize that one. <laughs> Daniel went up into his room. He opened the windows. Dude, open the windows. And say, here I am. I'm praying. Because you are not going to tell me that I can't pray to my God. That goes along with anybody, whether it's the government or whether it's your neighbor. If you will not stand up for what is right, then you're missing the point. God is looking for thoughtful men like Solomon who will pray for wisdom to change and bring about change in others. Solomon was wise enough to admit that he didn't know what he didn't know. Solomon was wise enough to admit that he didn't know what he didn't know. 1 Kings 3, verses 5 through 9. I think it's only 7 through 9 on the screen. But it says that Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, ask, what should I ask? What should I give you? And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him as a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people? of yours. Man, Solomon didn't ask for wealth. Solomon didn't ask for power. Solomon didn't ask for success. Solomon asked for wisdom to do what God had called him to do. And that's what God is looking for in men today. Listen, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't, know how to, you don't have to know how to do everything. What you do, know, what you do need to know how to do, gentlemen, is to ask God for the strength and the wisdom to do what he's called you to do. That's all you need. Number four, he needs singular men like, I, like Elijah who will stand alone against the crowd. Singular men like Elijah who will stand alone against the crowd. In 1 Kings 18, 21, it says, Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Elijah stood up against the entire nation of Israel and said, you've got to make a decision. They still wouldn't make a decision, yet Elijah still stood. It didn't matter that the entire nation was against him. He still stood for what was right. Listen, that's what we need. We need men that will stand up for what is right in their home, in their church, in their community. 
God is looking for ferocious men like John the Baptist who just won't give up fighting for what they know is right. John 1.23, John described himself as it was prophesied about him. He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah said. A ferocious man. You don't have to wear animal skins and eat locusts and honey, but you do need to stand ferociously for what is right and what you believe and what you know to be true. And lastly, and I think this applies so desperately to our nation today, to our churches in America today. God is looking for meek and com compassionate men like Jesus that are socially aware of the needs around them and are willing to do something about them. You say, socially aware? What are you talking about? Matthew 25, verses 36 through 40. Jesus is speaking. He says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Listen, when we reach out, when we do what's right, when we take care of people, when we meet people's needs, when we reach out to the downtrodden, when we reach out to the underdog and we lift people up, when we stand for what's right, when white people stand up for the rights of black people and brown people just because it's the right thing to do, because it's stupid, selfish, and foolish to be a bigot, when white people stand up for what's right, and do the right things in society, God is honored and his kingdom is blessed. Gentlemen, this is not the time to be a small man. This is the time to rise up and to rise above. This is the time to be the change that the world needs and to become the example of biblical godliness that our children need to us, need to see in us. They're watching, they're watching, they're watching. And if you don't think they're watching, think again, because they're watching. God wants men who will commit to being part of the solution instead of continuing to be part of the problem. Gentlemen, God is looking for some good men. God is looking for some honorable men. God is looking for some men who know they don't have all the answers, but are willing to stand up and do what needs to be done to find those answers. I'm committed to being one of those men. In my soul and my spirit, I'm committed to being one of those men, just like my father was one of those men, just like I raised my son Zach to be one of those men, and just like I'm raising Gabriel and Michael to be one of those men each. My question is, will you stand up and be one of those men as well? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and the strength to do your will. Lord, we need men in this world today to stand up, we need men in this world to be counted. We need men in church, godly men, to stand up. I pray that you'll work in the hearts of every man that has heard this message. And I pray, God, that each and every one of us will stand up for what is right and determine in our hearts that we're going to do what is right and true for you. God, would you bless everything that goes on here today. Thank you for the time to be in your house. We love you and we appreciate you, Father, in your name.